professional amateurs. I'm so glad you asked. And I'll even tell him where, he where I live, like you can come and have dinner with me or something. Off the rails. Hoping to make you look stupid. I want to be unbiased, but I'm not. Shane Wright, Shane Wright. Like how stupid can you be? Sorry, Rude. All right, uncut in three, two, one, go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of Professional Amateurs. Uh, we are back. The NHL uh, postseason is concluded. We have a new Stanley Cup champion. We have a new Hall of Fame class. We've got a couple trades to talk about. Um, it's been a minute. Hopefully, we're going to start having some more uh, consistent podcasts, but the last couple months have been a little bit of a whirlwind for the three of us. Uh, but first things first, how are, how are you guys doing? Ryan, how are you doing? How are, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck to talk. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Jack? I don't even want to go anymore. I'm doing good. <laughs> Settled into a new job and new hours. When, uh, when someone doesn't talk right away, someone's just going to get called on. I know, and that's why I was like, I'll be the hero and actually go for one. It took you too long. Well, I'm not gonna try. We should. We should. I, I like always. It's gonna be another like twelve meetings before I'm comfortable enough to try again. <laughs> we'll establish. <laughs> we need to establish an order. Okay, Ryan just goes first. Is that does that work? Yeah, I'll go first because I'm better. Okay, Jack, you're gonna be going first from now on. <laughs> yeah, good call. Good call. <laughs> okay, no. Um. <laughs> So we have a new Stanley Cup champion. The Colorado Avalanche knocked off the Tampa Bay Lightning, denying them of their third straight cup. But I don't know. I don't think they denied them of a dynasty, even though a lot of people were saying that. Um, it was an awesome series. It was super refreshing to have an actual good Stanley Cup final after a couple of duds in a row, I think. Um, the right team won. Uh, like, I don't really know what, like, what do you guys think? Um, what was your grand takeaway from the Stanley Cup final? Jack, you go first. Oh, no, I don't like going first. <laughs> um, no, I think we, we kind of discussed it uh, way back when we were talking about picking your opponent, I think. No matter how it ends up, you've got to beat the team in front of you. And at the end of the day, that's what Colorado did. And I know there was, like, some whatever Tampa fans upset about, like, the too many men or whatever. But it's, it's one play and one game of six. Yeah. So if you do your job in the other five games, it doesn't matter. So yeah, like mean, you said, I think the better team won, and that's what it's all about. I've been seeing a lot of uh, Tampa Bay complaining, and you could obviously you could see it in the broadcast, like every call. Did you see, like, Stamco shot a puck at a ref and stuff? Did you guys see that? Yeah. It was crazy. Like, Kucherov looked like he, like, cross-checked a ref when he was all pissed off at the end of game six when he snapped his stick, and – the equipment manager wasn't ready with his stick, so he was mad and like looked like he cross-checked the ref. Just seemed like Tampa Bay was getting rid of, uh, getting away with anything and everything, M like more so than is normal for a Stanley Cup final because usually the whistles get put in their pockets. Um, but like John Cooper, I think started to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, anytime anything happened, he was down looking at the iPad to see if he could challenge it. Okay, what are you guys' thoughts on that situation? Ryan, we'll get your thoughts on the final in a sec. Um, do you guys think there should be some sort of time limit on being able to challenge? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, like, you know every team has guys up in the press box watching every angle of this. By the time the ref skates over and asks you, you have an answer. It's not, give me five minutes. Like, there were literally points where refs were waiting on John Cooper um, to see if he wanted to challenge it. Like, I think... Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, American Friedman kind of, or I don't know if, who, if it was them, but they were, I know it was Merrick for sure. He was, he kind of narrowed it down and he was talking about how like, usually it's about 40 seconds that a coach gets to challenge it between the time that players take to celebrate, um, go through the benches and high five, get the face off set up, et cetera, et cetera. It usually adds up to about 40 seconds. And if the, the coach doesn't challenge in that time, um then they don't challenge but then there were a few times where it was literally like a minute 20 a minute 30 and tampa was like saying like hold on like we we're still trying to decide um ryan what, what did you think um see i i really want to know like what actually happened in like the one infamous one where they like got called back and it seems like there was miscommunication 
like it seems like everyone has a different view of what happened was it john cooper saying i want to challenge this and the refs just like not understanding and we're not hearing them or was it john cooper saying no nah, i don't want to challenge it then the refs went away and he changed his mind but yeah. like you said the way he was acting throughout the whole series almost like it wouldn't shock me if it was the latter do you guys think coaches should be allowed ipads on the bench I'm kind of conflicted on it because I think on one side it is a technological advance. It gives you an edge. But I also kind of agree with the take like you don't need to look at your breakaway that you fucked up from eight different views. Which like every player is doing that after every shift. But do you not think that the idea of review is a bit flawed across all sports? Like every single sport is like this now where – um, I think the intention of review was that if the coach disagrees with the ref's call, they make a challenge. Now it's okay. I'm going to go actually check and see if your call was right. And then decide if I want to challenge like a coach slash manager slash whatever I think should have to challenge a play based off of what they see in real time. They shouldn't be allowed to go look at what the league is about to look at and decide if they want to challenge. Yeah. I've never heard it laid out like that before. And when you first brought it up, I was like, absolutely, what's wrong with them having iPads on the bench? I think, like, the more information that players and coaches can have, the better. And that's part of that. That's where my mind was. But the, the way you kind of laid it out there, how it's, it's flying the review system is, is interesting to think about because I kind of agree with it. I've been, I've been preaching it for baseball for so long because – um, baseball is a little, was a little bit late to the game with review. They, did, they didn't really get it until I want to say like 2017, 2016. And, um, there's literally cases still like seven, eight years later where a manager is standing at the top of the dugout with his finger up, telling the umpire to hold on. They're deciding if they want to challenge like a minute, two minutes after the play. And, uh, like, I just think that that's not the intention of what review should be. It should be. Um, I saw that play in real time and I disagree with your call. Not, I just looked at eight different reviews that you guys are about to look at and you were wrong. I'll be right back. So I'm just going fucking nuts up my door. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So Ryan, like that's kind of, that's how I've been like saying, um, that's what I've been saying from bait from a baseball point of view. And now that it's really sort of become part of the forefront with hockey. And I only ever really started noticing coaches looking down at iPads in the last couple of years um, because I think that's when it started in hockey. Um, yeah. I, I just, I literally never thought of them having iPads really having a huge implication on the whole review system, but hearing that just like said out loud that it originally was supposed to be a coach just disagreeing with the ref. Yeah. I, I kind of agree. I, yeah. I agree. Like, because they literally have access to whatever the review is about to look at to make the call, that's what the coaches have access to. So they literally know if they're right or wrong when they're challenging. But um, I don't know if it'll get ever get to that point because of how important, like Jack was saying, how important technology is to sport in the year of 2022. But um, I personally wouldn't mind seeing uh, maybe, maybe you just make it a rule, like no iPads on the bench. Like, I don't know. You, you see it a lot with players now, like they'll go and look at a play that they made. Um, but I, I would sacrifice a player's ability, like from a fan's perspective, like it's cool that players get to see the plays like after, like moments after they happen on the bench, but I would rather have coaches challenges, have some integrity rather than players get to see the play that they just made kind of thing. But yeah, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think too, though, one thing I was going to say there is a lot of it. Like, the challenge can just be you trust your player. Like, it's kind of the old, um, in baseball more, where, like, the guy just stays on the base. He won't leave because he thinks he was safe. Yep. And it's almost like a respect thing. Like, you think you were interfered with, I'll challenge it. Yeah, but what it is now is the, the player always thinks they're safe. The manager goes and checks with the eight different review angles they have to see if they're right, and then they decide. No, and that's what I'm saying is like if you take away the ability to review, you take away the communication to the guys upstairs watching it on eight fucking TVs. Yeah. Then you have to kind of trust your players more and it's more of a gut instinct. And it's more like coaching. 
and it's more if it was obvious because that's what the, we were talking about it with the offsides. It was never meant to be a millimeter difference. It was right. Matt Duchesne was five fucking feet offside and scored. Can you imagine how cool it'd be to see like um, coaching coaches challenge conversion rates if they didn't have access to the technology on the bench? Like if, if it was oh. all just based off of what a coach saw in real time, seeing how many times they get their coaches challenges right. And how much they trust their guy. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really interesting to see if like the consensus best coaches in the NHL actually like did well on coaches' challenges and vice versa. And um, that'll take challenges down. A hundred percent. It would. It would. Like almost, there's a solution. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, and it would solve the issue of there's no more millimeter calls because no coach is ever gonna notice a guy's skate being like half a half a centimeter off the ice but like still on like you know what i mean it, you, it would get rid of those ticky tack calls that weren't um being considered when re, re, review was put in place it'd um, be a very difficult thing to enforce for sure because like well, even no like it wouldn't if, you would just say like no ipads on the bench guys okay well you go back to like baseball mm-hmm. and sign stealing like that's not allowed but they can sit someone in the stands and have the communication brought down true um but yeah so definitely something to think about hopefully they take a look at that um ryan what were your thoughts on your what was your big takeaway from the Stanley Cup final um my big one and maybe this is like a low-hanging fruit just because you could have said this for the entire playoffs was just truly the emergence of kale mccarr i think most of the season was there was a debate. It was like McDavid and then Matthews kind of solidified themselves as obviously top two and David's been up there for a long time. But um, but now I think we can confidently say that McCarr should be in the top three conversation with them. Like, I think he's clearly shown that he's the best defenseman in the league now. Oh, yeah. I think it's it's those three. It's McDavid, Matthews, McCarr. Um, yeah. not necessarily in that order. I think, I think the argument can be made McCarr over Matthews, obviously McDavid's number one, but I don't uh, know if it's just like a recency bias, it'll be interesting to kind of consider it for a full year next year. But right now I would say McCarr is closer to McDavid than Matthews is to McCarr. That's hot. I disagree with that, but that's, that's a very, like, awesome I, I'm completely acknowledging it could be the fact that yeah, okay. Matthew's season has been done for however long. Oh, yeah. But, like, that's how I'm feeling right now. And it'll be interesting to see how that tracks for a year. Norris Trophy, Stanley Cup, and Conn Smythe is such a kick-ass year. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, just to really put it in perspective, it felt like we went into the playoffs. Kale McCarr, Norris Trophy nominee. Like, maybe he'll win it. Like, Yossi had a great year. And we come out of it, like, we have a bonafide top three player in the world now who just like swept major it's like he has a Stanley Cup, he has a Smite, yeah. he has a Norris. Like he's twenty three years instantly, old. like almost a, a Hall of Fame career in one year. <laughs> it's just crazy how fast he's really Yeah, it's uh it was pretty awesome to watch in real time just to see him go from like you said, like Norris trophy finalist to like drop like no debate, top three player in the world, probably like best defenseman in the world kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, Tampa and Colorado. So we wanted, did we want to do uh, like off season previews for the two teams? Did we want to go into that right away? Yeah. So okay. So um, do you guys want to start with Tampa or Colorado? I do Tampa. They lost. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. <laughs> So, okay. Colorado's offseason won't start for a little bit. They're busy with that's that's shit. true. They, they yeah, they, and and their offseason's honestly a little bit less interesting. To, like Tampa's got some uh, got some weight to cut, or like has more decisions to make. Colorado can more actually no, that's not true. Colorado has a lot of players that are at UFA's. Um, anyway, I think Colorados are just more a guarantee. Like these guys aren't coming back. True. Yeah. Um, okay, so Tampa currently has 84 million tied up in their cap next year, so they're already operating above the cap. But uh, thanks to Mr. Brent Seabrook, they get to they have a five million dollars in space still. They have Riley Nash, Andre Pilat, um, Jan Ruda, and that's it. Those are all of their uh UFAs. Um, do you think any of those guys are coming back? 
I mean, Ruda, maybe. Like, Ruda I don't think he's going to get... Like, yeah, he's not going to get a big payday. But, He'd like, Palat, the... I presume, still wants to get paid, like, a Riley Smith contract. Three times five? Yeah. Okay. That'd be interesting. I, I, I'm curious to see if he takes a pay cut. But also, like, for Tampa's sake, like, from Tampa's view, a Palat pay cut would probably be like between three and four, right? And like, even then, I don't even know if Tampa can do that. No, and like, that's the thing is Colorado can kind of just let their guys walk where Tampa needs to shed. For sure. Well, to, actually, no, Colorado can bring all their guys back. Colorado's shit ton of calf days. It's just that they They're, have- it's, They have to save it for McKenna and Byron, I think, so, or next year. I have, I have some ideas with Colorado that we can- when okay. we can get to when we get to them um what about nick paul he's gone right like he's getting yeah he's gonna cash in same as coleman same as Goudreau did yeah i think yeah, like what do you what do you think he's get getting paid. i said it before like i think it was in the conference finals when i was talking about how dominant he was on a penalty kill shift like he's gonna get six years and four mil i think six times in the, four in that range because that's what Goudreau and coleman got ryan how fired up would you be if nick paul got six times four I would be like, I would be so happy for him because yeah. he's just, he's such a great player. And um, I, I was, I was one of the ones that was hesitant to sign him at $3 million per year in Ottawa. Yeah. Um, I didn't really think it made sense at the time to go any higher than that. And he's shown that the second I heard it was Tampa where he got traded, I knew he was going to succeed. Like he's he, the way he plays just, just works so well in like a playoff type system um i i yeah i was easily gonna say that he's gonna get four million too i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure on the years i was gonna say four by four but i could see four by six too he's younger than goudreau was goudreau got six times four and i think goudreau is 28 paul's 27 so there's a year difference there um i would also like to put out a disclaimer though like like we don't think the goudreau contract is good right no, not really, but like, I would like, put Paul no. above him like, right now. Yeah, you put him above him, but I, like, I'm going to be completely honest. Like, Nick Paul's a bottom six forward. I don't want a bottom six forward making more than $3 million on my team. Someone's going to give him that, and he's going to go get his five, six-year term, making probably close to four, if not four or more. Um, but if I'm a GM, I'm not giving him that contract, no chance. I mean, it's just, it's supply and demand. That's the price of doing business with someone where you don't have to trade for that. True. Like um, that's, you maybe get yeah, someone cheaper each year, but each year you got to trade someone to get them. So if you can lock like up was, that third line and not worry about it, it's a good thing to have. Yeah. And like, that was exactly my rationale too. It's just plain and simple. I don't really want a bottom six forward making more than three minutes. Especially yeah. with who Ottawa had coming up and who they might be bringing in, um, I didn't think it made sense. But I do think Paul is is worth three plus. Like he's such a versatile player, you can plug him in pretty much anywhere and he can succeed. So um, it, it probably will be inflated from the playoffs for sure because that's just how the NHL works. But um, I think he's worth it. So Ryan, did you have a thought on Palat? Like, what do you do? You think he takes a um, like just on like gut feel, like a guess? Like, do you think Palat goes back to Tampa? Like, what do you, what do you think happens with him? Without I don't know if you knowing, without knowing anything about him or like what he wants to do, like I don't know if he said anything. Uh, I would imagine he leaves. Like, why wouldn't he? Jack Jack was throwing three three times five out there. I think that's kind of dead on. If, if he leaves, I think if he stays, it's at a discount because it would have to be. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so Tampa has 11 forward sign. I, I would imagine that if they lose Palat, Brandon Hagel slides into that Andre Palat role, um, probably on the top line with like a Stamkos and Kucherov. And that's why they paid such a premium for his exact contract. Exactly. It was their uh, Andre Palat protection. But then, so all of a sudden, uh, like Nick Paul's gone. You can probably bring Riley Nash back as like a 13th 14th forward making the minimum um and then depending on what happens with andre palat um tampa might have like two three four million dollars to play with depending on what happens with some of those other uh, bargain free agents that they have um 
Let's hop over to Colorado. Colorado has $25 million in cap space going into the offseason, which is a little wild and I would think a bit unprecedented for a uh, Stanley Cup champion. But uh, here's their list of UFAs, and boy, is it long. So they've got uh, Nick Obey-Kubel, who had a very good playoff, I thought. Uh, Arturi Lekkonen, so both those guys are RFAs. And then their UFAs, Burakovsky, Cogliano, Helm, Kadri, Nichushkin, Sturm. Uh, on D, Jack Johnson, Josh Manson, Ryan Murray, and then in net, they've got Darcy Kemper. All UFAs. Uh, do we want to go through that list quickly and say staying or going? Do we want to focus in on two or three guys? Like, like they've got a lot of guys and a lot of them are pretty big names. I mean, one I'm confident in is Kadri's gone because he's yeah. going to cash in the biggest payday he can, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to be in Colorado. I've read that Nakushkin is their biggest priority internally. I also read that. And as he should, he's absolutely insane. Yeah, r- rightfully so. So I would say they probably keep him. Yep. The D are mostly kind of interchangeable at that point. Wait, you don't think they're going to refine Jack Johnson? Maybe like a, I don't know, like 10 mil one year. Ryan, this is a serious podcast. I'm being serious. That's serious. <laughs> we no, can't like see can your face. We can't see you. Give out 800,000, 700,000, shift in five and 60. It's not really a big deal. You think Jack Johnson's back with Colorado, uh, Ryan? I have no clue. I just oh, love okay. the memes that he's awful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we can't see you, so I couldn't tell if you were smiling or joking. Um, what do you guys think happens with um, Burkoff? He's probably gone. Arturi Lekkinen, I he's RFA, so he probably sticks around. Jack, I thought he was a center. Is he? Is he not? No, I don't think he ever has played center at the NHL. Okay, I was fully under the impression that he was playing wing because Colorado's so deep, but I thought he was going to kind of uh, slide up, so Colorado's going to need a second-line center. Uh, Miko Rantanen was playing some center with Kadri out, so that could be interesting. Um, but I also wonder if Colorado goes out into the trade market to maybe try to acquire a center. Maybe like a guy, like a – this would be nuts, but like a JT Miller on a one-year thing so that he's gone once McKinnon's number goes up. Um, what do you guys think hap- – like, do you think Darcy Kemper's back? And that, if so, at what turn – like, what number – what number would you be comfortable having Darcy Kemper at? Like five. Uh, he he was four and a half, but Arizona retained one, so he was only three and a half for Colorado. I do like five mil. Like kind of the lowest tier of starter money. I would not pay a big payday for him. Okay, Ryan. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm just not a big believer in giving goalies huge contracts. I think unless they're really special, it's, it's hard to find ones that make too much of a difference between like five and seven million. So I, I agree. I, I think you try to keep them around that five million. And if not, uh, it, goalies are hard to find. So maybe you pay a little bit more, especially since you know he's capable of winning a Stanley Cup with this team. But I think five would be paying more, honestly. Like, I think five is the number that, like, gets him to stay. Like, I think I think an initial – if I'm the Avalanche, I think my initial offer to him is, like, I don't know, three times four. Four and a half, maybe. I don't know. He's 32 also. Like, he's he's three or four years older than I thought he was. Um, so, you he's think, not young. You think, and I, would, you think they would even talk discount, though? Do, do I think they would talk discount? Like, if you're saying – offer him four that's technically less than what he's making right now technically yeah um i don't know it just depends on if colorado thinks he deserves it like i don't know i he's just he's such a he's just a guy right like he's a very average starting goalie i think yeah Um, that's exactly what my point was like I, i i don't think he's anything special I would come I, in low if I'm Colorado, and I my absolute maximum offer would be like five, like what you guys said. There's also like only 32 starting jobs. Where is he gonna go that he's gonna get a better job? Yeah. Maybe Arizona will pay you more or something stupid like that. But <laughs> goes like you're back, not gonna goes get goes back to Arizona. 
you're not going to get on a winning team at more than what Colorado can give you. There's no reason for him to leave unless they don't want him. True. Um, do you guys think Sam Girard is a member of the Colorado Avalanche at the start of next season? I don't think so. I think it's just too obvious of a like a clear positive trade chip. That and we've made... discussed like how Byron can just take over. Yeah. He was it's so the perfect good in fill. The yeah. It's you, just too easy. You guys want to know my master Joe Sackick plan? If I was Joe Sackick, this would be the master plan if it was this easy. So Which Eric one? Eric Johnson makes six. Uh, he's UFA after next year, just like McKinnon. I'm taking that six. I'm throwing it at McKinnon. McKinnon goes up to 12.3, which is probably right around where he's going to come in. Um, and then I trade Gerard and I give that five, probably closer to six, six and a half to, to Byram. And Byram becomes the second pairing defenseman guy going forward. That's how I would sort of consolidate the roster next year. Um, obviously, that's not really a this offseason problem yet, but I mean, the, uh, the inevitable Nate McKinnon extension has been in the back of Colorado's minds for probably four years now. So, mm-hmm. but uh, that's just me. I don't know if you guys have a thought on that, but uh, if not, we could probably move on. No, I think it, it lines up perfectly money-wise. Like when you say, oh, you have to pay Byram and McKinnon next year. Like that sounds a lot more daunting than it is the way their contracts are set up. I've, I've always seen... Um, ever since McKinnon's like next contract started coming up and people started talking about him as being like the best bargain in the league, I've always seen like Eric Johnson's money going straight to him. And then like just either Eric Johnson going right down to like a 1 million or $2 million guy. Like he's a good player, but he's also 35 um, or going to be 35 when his contract's up. So I don't know. I've always just saw that as like a seamless transition to go for McKinnon at 6.3 to 12 plus that he's probably going to get yeah i like that it's a good fit um okay one last thing on colorado before we move on to the hall of fame class do you guys think mckinnon signs his extension before the season starts i think so ryan yeah i yeah i think they get it out of the way it just seems like that's one of the ones where the team and the player are going to come together pretty quickly i'm so excited to see what that number is it's gonna be really, I, I think, think like if had they not had the success they had this year and like lost in the second round or something then you know it sits yeah. for the season maybe he wants to go somewhere else but they got their ring they're clearly good enough they're gonna be good they've got their no reason to move on yeah i agree especially now that like mccarr and landeskog are both locked in long term which was also not the case last year at this time so no landeskog looked like he was a goner yeah he was yeah he was pretty much like had a foot out the door. Yeah. Um, okay. Over to, okay. So we've only got 10 minutes left. So we'll spend 10 minutes on the hall of fame class. Um, Ryan, do you want to lead things off? Uh, sure. So it's no secret that I'm a huge Suns fan. And my favorite player growing up was Daniel Offerton. Um, and it was just a, Great day the other day when we saw him get in because it was the first it was the first player in Sen's modern history to get in and I think the fan base is waiting a long time for it. So I have a long laundry list of items that kind of defines his career. I'll I'll start rapid firing them and if either of you kind of hear something that catches your eye and wanna go more into it, we can try to talk to it. But other than that, I'll try to make this quick. Just hold off for a sec, Ryan. We should probably talk about who the, like, we should probably mention who the Hall of Fame class is. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess. Like, you, even though this you, is. Hand, you handed it off to me, and my only job was Elsie. So. Um, fault is yours. True. Uh, so it's a pretty deep class, I would say. Uh, it's one of the first classes where, sort of like, we grew up with all the players, I would say. Um, so both Sedins, Daniel and Henrik, Roberto Luongo and Daniel Alfredson, um, all four of those guys got into the hall of fame. Um, pretty big deal. Uh, Luongo, obviously, I think he's fourth all time in wins. Um, Daniel and Henrik Sedin have been the face of Swedish hockey for 
15 years, 10 years. Um, and we're obviously huge in Canada. And then obviously Daniel Alfredson, um, longest tenured captain in Senators history. And uh, I'll throw it back over to Ryan. Yeah, so I'll just start ripping through these. Um, so just to start with his NHL career stats, he played 1,178 games. One that he had 1,108 points. Um, he had 426 goals, 682 assists. Get ready for this one. 69, nice game-winning goals. Um, 131 power play goals, 25 shorthanded goals, and I only mention all of those because they are all Ottawa Senators careers. Uh, sorry, Ottawa Senators all-time records, except the games played record, which he is beaten by Chris Phillips by one game played. So we're ignoring um, Detroit stats right now, right? Is yes. Okay, because yeah, I'm. I'm looking at his hockey DB and all those numbers were like just under his career totals. So I wanted to make sure. Yeah. Sorry. These were just with the sentence. Okay. Full disclaimer. I got pretty much everything on here from either the Elfie to the Hulk Twitter page and his hockey DB. So. Okay. Yeah. So just kind of ripping through a few more. He had 100 playoff points, uh, averaging 0.81 points per game. He was a six-time All-Star. He won the Calder Trophy in his rookie year. And he also added the King Clancy Trophy for office contributions and the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Now, oh. these, these, yeah, these ones are kind of interesting here. Like, all time, he's 55th in points. He's 65th in goals and 53rd in assists. And it gets even more interesting when you account for error adjusted. Um, and this is from hockey reference. It, like once you go to error adjusted points, he goes up to 35th all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yeah. And then, so if you kind of circle in on one decade in particular, from 2000 to 2010, he was third in points only behind Thornton and Beginla. And before getting into the Hall of Fame, there was 183 forwards in before him. And of those, he was 39th in points and he was 25th in error adjusted. So it, I think it was pretty clear that he was due. Um, and then just quickly running through his international places. This is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> um, he has a 2006 gold medal in the Olympics. Uh, he also has two silvers in the Olympics, I believe, as well. Um, has a bunch of medals in the, in the World Championships, and he's also in the IHF Hall of Fame as well. So, um, pretty dominant player everywhere he's gone, even when he spent a season overseas in the SHL in Sweden. Um, he won a he won a championship for the team he played with over there. He led the team in scoring for the postseason, and I think the record still stands um, for twelve goals in a postseason. It's the most in an NHL uh, postseason. So, done a lot Damn. of stuff. Nice little essay. Nice little Alfie essay. Yeah, and I cut out a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't think it was it was that bad for. Oh, oh, you cut out, like, a lot of info. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, I thought you meant you were, like, cutting in and out of audio. I was like, no, you were good. Oh, no, I, I probably cut out, like, half the content I had. Because Jeez. Okay, good, because uh, we've only got about four minutes here. Um, so, obviously, uh, Alfie, uh, five, fifth year of eligibility. Like, Jack, do you think he maybe should have gotten in a bit earlier? Like, what, what does a nonsense fan think? I wouldn't even say that's a fair thing to ask me because I did still grow up in the area. Yeah, I and like I was that. there when he scored his 400th goal. I was there when his jersey went to the rafters. Like, and he was really. I thought we were talking sentimental. I didn't think we were just going to be doing stats. But one thing I really like, kind of learned from seeing him, is the captain doesn't need to be like the flashiest franchise player. Yep. Like it's more than that. Um, 
I have like a specific memory of like learning that in like a life lesson with my dad. Like it's a very special player to my hockey kind of mind, I would say. Um, so obviously there was a lot of uh, Leafs chatter about why is Alfredson a Hall of Famer? He shouldn't have gotten in and stuff. Um, and I think that there's four players that are very similar in their Hall of Fame credentials. Um, I say Matt Sundin, Daniel Alfredson, Henrik, and Daniel Sedin. Oh, Matt Sundin, the Sedin twins, and Daniel Alfredson. I kind of put them all in the same tier because, like, they're all over 1,000 points. They're all from Sweden, and none of them won a cup. Um, that's – I don't know. That's just, like, a me thing. I don't know if you guys have ever – thought that i don't know why i'm bringing it up but um i just think it's odd that sundin got in in his first year of eligibility both sadines got in their first year of eligibility and it took alfie five years um i think that's probably just the market he was in probably um for sure i think that's what a lot of people are talking it up to um and like i got like obviously the sadine twins like Henrik has a heart and an Art Ross. Daniel has a Ted Lindsay and an Art Ross. Those are massive hardware. Alfie doesn't have that. He's got. I think Alfie didn't really have the same peak, but he had the longevity. Uh, Yeah. I I would agree with that. Yeah. And like, even when he would have been at like his statistical peak, it was still Heatley and Spezza were probably above him each year. True. They had uh, their peaks weren't like that far off though. Like Daniel Sedin's career high in points was 104, and that was his heart, or that was his Ted Lindsay year. Um, Alfie's career high is 103. Henrik Sedin's career high is 112, so like that's obviously a bit more. Um, but besides that, his career high, he, he only ever went above 90 one other time. So Sedin only and like ever... the year that Alfie had 103. I don't know if you have time to pull it up, but like what did Spezza and Healy have? on that like uh i can probably get hot shot line and while you're pulling that up there's just one more thing i want to mention that i had here um just while we're on the topic of swedish nhl players all time uh in terms of swedish nhl players he's second in points second in goals fifth in assists and fifth in games played damn uh danny heatley had uh 50 and 105 like 105 points that year and then Spezza had 87 points 34 goals that year so that was that was like obviously that was also the year they went to the cup so oh wait no it was 0506 that Alfie had 103 so Heatley had 50 and 103 points and Spezza had 90 points so it was basically career years for all three of them um so maybe maybe the voters took away from that I don't know it was just weird to me that both Sedin's got in first year and it took Alfie five um Pretty legendary class, though, I think, especially for, like, our era because we grew up with these guys. Luongo, obviously. And it's, like, every year it's just going to be like that from now on. I know. It's, it's exciting. so exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, yeah, so before we were so rudely interrupted by the, the Zoom calls e- expiration. Um, Speaking of, be a Patreon supporter. Pay got- for our Zoom meeting. <laughs> um. Both Sedin's Alfie and uh, Roberto Luongo. Uh, we were talking about how um, all four guys we grew up with and were very, very notable players. Um, and we pretty much witnessed each player's entire career, uh, at least their primes. And it's just going to be like that going forward. Uh, I'm not sure who's up in line to get into the hall next year, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a similar case in here going on. Um, it'll be a lot of guys that we, we grew up watching that retired um, as we get older and older, which is, which is really cool to see. Um, Roberto Luongo, I think, uh, might be falling a little under the radar in this Hall of Fame class because of how, how long it took Alfie to get in and how sort of iconic the two Sedin, the Sedin twins are. Um, but Roberto Luongo, like top five goalie of all time, at least, like there's an argument to be made, I think. Uh, maybe he's yeah. not. Depends. I would say top 10 comfortably, top five, you could argue. Yeah, like... Um, Purely his uh, – here, let me just pull up his hockey DB page here. I but, like, it. everything was, like, the Corey Schneider situation and, like, his Twitter account. Like, just the, the fucking whatever game he had, like, diarrhea and overtime. Yeah. <laughs> like, just so many iconic moments and, like, such a great dude. Never won a Vesna. That's a little wild. 
Um, that is surprising. The fact that he never won one and Marc Andre Fleury had to be like a pity one, gift wrapped one yeah. last year is a joke. Like, how are these guys That's not winning? Crazy. Best? That's wild. Roberto Luongo, 489 career wins, fourth all time, a 919 career save percentage. Um, not really much else to say uh, besides last swear. goalie that he was captain. Let's say that again. Last goalie to be captain. That's right. Yeah, he had the C on the chin of his helmet. Um, you want to know the first thing that comes to mind when like, I think of Roberto Luongo? Yes. My contract sucks. Didn't he, he tweeted that, right? No, he said it at a press conference. Oh. Like, when, I think it was, like, near the end when he was, like, kind of wanting out of Vancouver. I don't really remember how that ended, to be honest. I but think it was when they were trying to deal with Schneider and him. Yeah. Well, anyways, I think it was near his way out, and, like, they couldn't really move him or something. And he was like, my contract sucks. <laughs> the first one for me is his Tom Brady tweet. I think it was after Brady got his fifth chip, and he was like, me and Tom Brady now have five combined championships. Did you guys see him <laughs> trying to recruit Lundqvist to do a podcast called Two Goats, No Cup? No, yeah, that's fucking I funny. That. It's so awesome. So uh, Lu- Luongo's uh, like last contract was 12 years, $5.33 million cap hit. Which really, that cap is not bad. No, it's not, but I think with like, I forget... There was something nasty about it. Um, like well, it's I all. I want to say when like this all went down, there was like six or seven years left on it. Or something. Yeah, that's the thing. And I, I like, think I think there was like an issue where if he retired, it wouldn't come off the books. Some something like that. It was like yeah. one of those wonky legal contracts. Because it was it was before the newest CBA. Yeah, yeah it was. One and of that's the why contracts are eight actually, years max. Yeah, yeah. It it was one of the weird ones that actually could have been. Affected by the cap recapture penalty, I think. Um, yeah, Van- Vancouver, and just like Vancouver and Florida have been playing cap recapture on him for the past three years. Uh, Vancouver has been paying uh, three million for the past three years. This past year was the last one, and then Florida has been paying just over a mil for three years. And like one last thing on the Sedins too is that like their whole draft day thing was just iconic and like. Berkey swinging the trades like that adds to their legacy too. Do you know if there's a documentary on that? Is if not, Sportsnet should make one. I would be an awesome like thirty and thirty. I don't yeah. know if there is one, but I know because Berkey worked for TSN for a while, so I know he's talked about it a lot. We also worked for Sportsnet for a long time, and that's like his yeah. crown jewel as a member of the NHL. Brian Burke. Is- Speaking of Brian Burke, he has like good books too. He's written a couple of books. Yeah, like, oh, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's written about it. I'm pretty sure he's written about and it. Like, It'd be cool to get a like a Sportsnet special or something. On for Black sure, Black. for sure. But like he, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he went to like Harvard for law. Like just a fucking kind of crazy fucking persona he's got. I think uh, who's the? Do you guys know who the first pick in 1999? Oh, it's Patrick Stefan. Yeah, worth it. Legend. Uh, <laughs> did you say worth like, it? Yeah. But like trading for like both those picks is like straight out of a like the movie well, draft day. They had like, one honestly. and traded for the other. No, but I if I'm they had to like trade one and then get one back and like yeah. I don't know. I, we, I I know there is draft day footage of him on the floor. Like I know that exists somewhere because I know I've seen it, but I just don't know if it's in a documentary or it's like a quick video that it's being produced. Or, I don't know. There's got to be something. It's definitely in one of his books anyway. Um, anything else on the Hall of Fame class from you guys? No, nope. I think that's all I got. Okay. And uh, to wrap up the pod, we have a trade to announce. Um, Los Four Angeles- days ago, this happened when you're no, listening. It happened an hour, like an hour, no, two hours ago. It happened right before we went on the pod. Um, Kevin Fiala's rights, his RFA rights, were dealt to LA in exchange for Los Angeles' first round pick in 2022. I don't know what pick it is. I know it's 19, like I think. 19. Okay. I, I knew that, like, because they were bouncing the first round, but. Uh, and what was the what was the prospect's name? Something? Brock Faber. I Brock think. Faber. Brock Faber, yeah. Um, Former second round pick. He's. From just outside Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, and is currently at the University of Minnesota. Apparently, he was writing an essay when uh, he was traded. They like that's funny. Him, told him he was writing an essay. Um, 
But yeah, and then so Kevin Fiala immediately signs an extension with LA. It's already on cap friendly, which is really nice. Uh, seven years, $7.875 million cap hit for a total of $55.125 million total. It all happened pretty fast. Um, I don't know if you had been checking Twitter much today, Jack, but uh, a lot I of had work meetings. Fiala, Fiala rumblings today. Um, there were a couple of joke announcements that he was being dealt to either New Jersey and Ottawa and to like keep your eyes open until the end of the day. And they were just uh, people sort of pretending to be insiders. And then little did we know, like two hours later, um, he's dealt to LA. Uh, what did you guys make of the deal? I feel fucking bad for any Minnesota fans that are out there. Really? Well, that's a rough return in my eyes and not an expensive extension. Well, the extension thing, you can't really knock at that because Minnesota literally cannot do that. No, for sure. And like, I get that Minnesota was in a tough spot. They didn't really have a choice but to trade them. So that kind of hurts their leverage. But at the same time, Fiala is such a hawk commodity that I really don't think that should have been canceled out. Like it should have been like a full out bidding war. And I, I think there's quite a few teams, Ottawa being one that could have given a better return. Yeah, but yeah, I my, think my my original thought on that was yes, I thought it was slightly underwhelming, and then I remembered how good Brock Faber is. Like he, I think he's going to be a stud. Um, so I think they did well there. Like just in terms of comparison, I think about what all the rumors were that Ottawa was going to give up had they been able to get him. Um, I do think Ottawa could have put together more value, but then I saw someone tweet. Like, at the end of the day, Kevin Fiala did have some choice in this. Yeah, like, he, he, he got to pick where he went. He, he, he decided who he wanted to sign long-term with, essentially. Um, and it's very likely that he just chose Los Angeles. So it, it, it's hard to evaluate a trade when there's a component like that, but I think they did well considering that's very fair. He could have completely like strong armed them that I'm going LA and nowhere else. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know the kind of truth behind that. I would think that that's what happened because New Jersey and Ottawa had probably better assets to give up. Um, but obviously it all came down to Fiala. Great contract though, I think. Oh, absolutely. I thought it was going to be like starting with a nine. Yeah. At least eight. I was thinking eight and a half on a long-term deal for sure. Um, yeah, under eight's incredible. Now, if only LA can have some of their prospects actually start playing well, because that's a good team. LA's going to be dangerous. I know I, I talked about them before, like their first round series with Edmonton as like a kind of a dark horse, but next year too, like with the addition of Fiala, everyone's a year older, Byfield's a year older. Yeah. They're going to, and especially the East is kind of the more loaded conference right now. I'd watch out for LA for sure. What's crazy too is that LA made the playoffs this year, probably a year or two out of schedule because of Vegas's downfall. Um, but it was basically on the backs of their old core of uh, Kopitar, Dowdy, Quick. Like yeah. Cal, Cal Peterson didn't take the net. Byfield didn't emerge. I don't even think Turcotte was in the NHL for a lot of this year. Um, like it's it was a lot of the kings of old that aren't really meant to be the guys anymore. Like, like you'd think LA is hoping that these guys that they've been drafting in the past few years will really step it up in the next year or two. And uh, adding Fiala uh, can only help with that, I would imagine. So um, def- LA is definitely a team to watch out for. And, and with that market, like that's a, that's a team that can spend the cap. So they're not restricted by um, a lot of other teams, like a lot of in the ways that a lot of other teams are. So that's a team that can spend for sure. And as bad as like the Kopitar contract is like just in terms of pure AAV and like Dowdy, like those are coming to an end. They're good players. And I think, let me check. Like Drew Dowdy had a career resurgence this year. He was, he one, of the wor- he was one of the worst contracts in the NHL. And then this year had a great year. Oh, okay. He's still got five years left. Uh, that's more than I thought it was. <laughs> I-, I thought it was like two or three years left. Um, that's what I, I- thought too. <laughs> okay so maybe that one will get ugly uh, <laughs> let's go see again you guys had me totally convinced that los angeles set this up so perfectly that these guys were going to come off the books and these, these rookies are going to come in and 
the new wave. And that still might happen, but like five more years of that is going on. Kopitar has two years left. So this season and I thought they were like closer to matching. Me too. I, I definitely thought they were closer to matching. I thought they were would still, be like, like a year or two off of each other. Kopitar, 11 million freed up. Like that's. Yeah. yeah. You guys had me convinced anyway. So Ko- Kopitar expires after 2024. So he's got two more years at 10 million. Doughty doesn't expire till 2027. So he's got five more years at 11. Um, I, yeah, I was convinced that Doughty, Doughty signed his deal in 2019. Um, I definitely thought Doughty had less years left. So that one's still a bit of an oof. But if, it, if he can play well like he did last this past season, if he can do that for another two or three years, it's not the worst thing in the world. No. Um, it's not Eric And you, you don't need to pay, play to an $11 million value for the full five years. If you can play to five or six, that's still yeah. not that bad. It's what you pay for franchise legends. Um, yeah, and that's, that's the price of doing business, really. You guys got anything else? nope nope draft talk next time yeah next week we're going to talk about the draft draft is next friday saturday um we'll try to do another pod on tuesday either tuesday or wednesday um, if we don't i'll just fucking record it myself like we were joking about you can, yeah you can just read off your your mock draft and- or like friday morning when i drive to work <laughs> a car cast <laughs> yes <laughs> I I, I kind of want to try that. That'd be fun. Like I like one of us phoning in from a car or something. Like just or like from like just being outside, like a conv- completely inconvenient location. Like <laughs> like what Elliot Friedman does all the time. When I go on, on like summer vacation, I'll do that. Even though I'll be closer, I'll be in CP. I'll be closer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You should do one in person. That'd be fun, actually. It'd be super awkward, but it'd be fun. All right. <laughs> I think that's it for this episode. If one of you guys want to say the line, we'll uh, we'll wrap things up here. Good to hear. There it is. We will catch you next time. Have a good one.